Getting recommendations from your friends for that perfect diet might be a big waste of time. The real answer is already within you, your genes. What are the best foods based on your DNA? What foods have the nutrients that you need? How quickly do you metabolize caffeine and alcohol? Don't guess. Use the code Verlander for $20 off of a Geno Palette DNA kit to find out how to eat for your genes. It's a blowout, eighth inning, 10 3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out of the real pitch. He swings, and it's a high fly ball, deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge backflip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. What is up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flippin' Bats with your host, Ben Verlander. We got another exciting week. We talk about some storylines. We get into this week's guest, Baltimore Orioles pitcher, stud starting pitcher, and all-star John Means is going to join the show. And, of course, we get uh, into some hotline questions where you guys called in. I will answer your questions, so make sure you keep calling. This week in Shohei Otani News, Probably my favorite segment right now. And, of course, six-tool player of the week. Uh, we also asked, again, another question on Twitter. This week it was, who's the NL MVP? So we're going to discuss that poll, the results of the poll uh, that we put out on the Flippin' Bats Twitter. And uh, got a little fun way to end up the show today. Going to talk a little bit about some ejections and some of my favorite ejections. And I uh, have another guest on for a couple minutes uh, but I wanted to get right into it with the storylines from this past week and look the biggest storyline is these substance checks the substances uh, what's going on with this what's going on with the the checking the crackdown it all started Monday Monday was the first day that Major League Baseball said the crackdown is in effect it happens on Monday if you're caught you will be suspended 10 games, and you will be ejected, and Monday was the first day of the checks. Nobody really knew what that day was going to look like. I didn't. I didn't know what it was going to look like. Uh, and the first pitcher that it ended up happening to was Jacob deGrom. deGrom's on the mound. He comes walking off, and the umpires call him over and check him. Say, give me your hat. So he gives him the hat, and then they check his glove, and then they check his belt. Uh, and that was the first check. And it, then we were off and running. And we proceeded to, over the next day, couple of days, to get some insane reactions. The first that I remember being kind of insane was Max Scherzer walking off the mound. And he was none too pleased when, when the umpires called him over and told him that they were going to check him. He was actually kind of pissed off. And he kind of like takes his hat off in disgust and gives it to him. And then later in the game... This is where I start to have a little bit, little bit of a problem with this. Later in the game, uh, Max Scherzer gets his third check, uh, his third substance check. This one came from the opposing manager, Joe Girardi. And it happened in the middle of an inning. Max is in a groove, and Max was not happy. Uh, he, he, he finds out this is happening. He throws off his hat. He, like, pretends to, you know, rip off his belt. And then uh, another day, Sergio Romo, pitcher for the A's. Uh, comes walking off the mound, throws his hat down, literally takes his pants off. He literally took his pants off on a Major League Baseball field, and that is what baseball has come to. Substance checks. Pitchers are using substances. Pitchers aren't happy. Pitchers are taking their pants off on the field in disgust. That's where we're at. Um, so, look, this is a, a fluid situation. I, I, I think 
this got thrown out into baseball so quickly. And, and I don't blame any one side for their reactions. But look, I, I do think you need to be understanding of this situation. Umpires don't want to be like, it's not like they're enjoying cracking down and saying, we're going to catch you. It's just, look, we got forced into a situation where baseball had to crack down and they didn't really know how to go about it. They knew something needed to be done. And I don't think this week that we just saw in Major League Baseball is going to be the answer maybe even next week or the week after or next year. I think it's going to be an ever-evolving situation until we figure out the perfect scenario. And uh, what I don't think is the perfect scenario is players pulling their pants down on the field. So I think baseball is going to look in the mirror and say, all right, we're probably going to have to alter this a little bit. Let's figure out the best way to go about this. Maybe we can get this done in the dugout. Uh, maybe we can get this done before you come out on the field, out of the public eye. Uh, but all I know is this was the first week. We had quite the reactions. And uh, Scherzer and Romo were certainly my favorite of those reactions because they kind of went a little above and beyond. But I do think this situation is going to have to change. Um, but we also had our first ejection when it comes to these substance checks. You know, we went all week from Monday through Saturday with every pitcher getting checked as they walked off the field. Some of them even position players, by the way. There was a knuckleballer that was checked. There was also a position player that was checked. We went Monday through Saturday without an ejection. Then comes Sunday. Hector Santiago of the Seattle Mariners uh, is coming off the field gets checked, and the umpires are taking a little bit longer. I actually happen to be watching this game. Umpires are taking a little bit longer to check them. They're looking under the, the lids of this glove. They're looking everywhere. And they kind of just look at each other and, and realize, wait, this, this might be a substance. And, and it was the weirdest situation in the world. They kind of just like looked at each other, looked at the glove, and the umpire is like, which means he's ejected. So he gets ejected. His glove gets handed over to an authenticator, um, the authenticator puts it in a bag that they said was hermetically sealed. It looked like a glad trash bag. That's what it looks like to me. It's a, that's not sealed in any sort of way, but it gets sealed and shipped off to Major League Baseball, and they're going to investigate this and, and check and see the substance and what it is. But look, Santiago got ejected from this game. Hector Santiago was ejected from this game and, and is now sitting out for 10 games. Here's my question, because Hector Santiago came out post-game and said, look, I don't have anything. And I don't, I don't want to, you know, people have said that all the time. I, you know, I didn't do it. I don't believe him. I don't not believe him. What I know is it seems a little egregious to eject him and have him sit out for 10 games and have the Seattle Mariners be down a player before we even know the results of this check. Uh, and, and then let's say the substance check comes back clean. And they say, yeah, you know, it was just a, something that was in the glove, like some part of the glove. Then what do we do? Okay, well, we, we, you were down a player for X amount of days, um, and you were wrong there. So like I said before, I think this is going to be an ever-evolving situation. I think everybody's doing the best they can right now to, to do this well. Um, but I definitely think there are room, there's room for improvement and there's room for change because, look, 
even the umpires didn't really know how to handle this. They ejected him. Now he can't pitch while this glove is getting ejected. So we saw the first ejection on Sunday. We saw a lot of players showing emotion when, when they were coming off the field this week. Certainly a crazy week, one that we have never, ever seen in Major League Baseball. And uh, it wasn't without it wasn't without some some drama, that's for sure. And, and Hector Santiago, we will hear back in the next few days, I think, what's going to happen and, and what happened to his glove. So uh, I look forward to next week and seeing how things evolve. But it was certainly a crazy week in Major League Baseball when it came to this crackdown on substances. Um, but I wanted to get into it right away with this week's guest, an absolute stud, an all-star, a pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles, John Means. John, what is up, man? Thank you so much for joining me, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Of course, first and foremost, we normally get into trivia pretty quickly, but I wanted to ask you, how are you doing? I know you uh, haven't pitched since the beginning of June, hopefully on the comeback trail. How's it going? It's going well. Uh, got the mound for the first time yesterday, so uh, it felt good. Everything felt good, and, and hopefully can get back up soon. So you're down, are you, you're down in Florida? Yeah, yeah, down in Sarasota uh, here at, at Spring Training Facility. Uh, with the GCL kids and and just trying to get back. <laughs> the grind. The grind. The grind. <laughs> All right. So normally right off the top, I'm going to hit you with some trivia. We got a leaderboard. At the top of it is Reese Hoskins at eight, correct? And Michael Fulmer also with eight, correct? So we got 60 wow. seconds all about your career. All right. You ready to go? Okay. Let's hear it. All right. Who was your first MLB strikeout against? Mitch Moreland. Yes. First MLB batter faced? Mitch Moreland. First MLB home run allowed to? J.D. Martinez. First MLB win against? Uh, New York. Yankees. Number of pitches thrown in your first MLB start? Oof. Uh, I'm going to go with 52. Jersey number for your debut? 67. Yes. Who relieved you in your first MLB start? Ooh. Um, I don't even remember when my first MLB start was. <laughs> I think it was against the A's. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Paul Fry. All right. Where was your first away game? Uh, Fenway Park. Yes. Boston. Opposing starter in your MLB start, your first one. All right. Uh, That's it. That's it. Pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, uh, yes, uh, 60 pitches was thrown in your first start. And that the person close. that relieved you was Evan Phillips. Mm. Evan Phillips. That. All right, so, John, before we, you know, get into it here, I just wanted to ask you a question. So, I, you know, to get some people on, I just reach out to people, whether it be direct message or whatever. I direct messaged your Instagram account, but I didn't get a response from you. I got a response from your wife who responded by saying, yeah, he's not really on this in season. I kind of I kind of run the show around here. How is this true? Does she run the show around the means household during the season? Yeah, she's a little bit of the manager. <laughs> uh, she kind of handles all the all the heavy lifting off the field. Um, she she's a rock star for sure. Um, I, I'm in and out on social media. Um I, I hate it, to be honest with you. I think social media is kind of the root of all evil. But, um, but yeah, it's, it definitely has its place. And I, I do enjoy being on it sometimes. But 
I, I got off it a, a couple months ago and, and just, I was kind of over it and, and I'll, <laughs> I'll go back and forth. I'll probably get back on it here in a month or two. It just depends on my mood, to be honest with you. She got me good though. when when she responded and said, just, you know, I'm a big sports nerd and, and I love the show. I don't even know if that was true, but the fact that she said that to me meant the world. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so it was, that was a great conversation I had with her. So I want to ask you, your journey has not been an easy one. And, you know, you went to a community college, uh, no D1 offers, and then you end up transferring. And then, you know, grinded out in the minor leagues. I know how much of a grind baseball is, but for some people, even more so than others, uh, it's even more of a grind. What was that? journey like for you yeah um i i was a very late bloomer in high school i i didn't grow until my junior senior year i was i went into high school at like five foot four so i i really hit a big growth spurt so i didn't get a whole lot of offers i wasn't that you know high school kid everybody was watching out for um so i i ended up going to junior college i didn't have any other offers and and ended up doing pretty well there, but it was weird. So I got drafted out of high school, but I didn't have any division one offers. I got drafted in the 46th round, uh, but it was only because we had like 30 scouts at every high school game because we had the fifth overall pick Bubba Starling at my high school. So, um, so we had a bunch of scouts and, and I ended up getting drafted just because I was a lefty, big lefty that threw strikes. Uh, I was only throwing like 85, 86, but, um, but yes, yeah, so that was journey and then I went to junior college did did decently well West Virginia called and they were like do you really want to go back another year to junior college and I was like no not really. <laughs> so uh here I, I found myself in Morgantown and and I took a visit and signed on the visit and, and that was really the whole recruiting process I, I did and um went to West Virginia uh and, and loved it and you know got drafted out of their junior year and then then yeah, kind of spent a year at every level and kind of got stuck in Double A for a little while. Um, I could never figure out that league. I just couldn't. I couldn't figure it out. It was. I had a four ERA every year I was there. I was in my third year there in 2018 um, when I kind of started to figure out some things. I got sent up to Triple A just because a guy opted out of his contract. I didn't even like really earn the spot in Triple A. Um, so I, I, I went up there and then. Um, <laughs> So September comes, no September call up. I, I ended up doing pretty well in AAA. And then, so I went home for a couple of weeks, didn't, didn't get any calls or anything. So I, I, I didn't throw. Mm -hmm. And then I get a call two weeks into the off season. Um, hey, have you been throwing and working out? We might need you to come Of up course I have. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> help the Orioles out. And, and, and I was like, of course, I've been throwing every other day. I've been working out. I've been, I've been, to, I've been doing everything I need to do to be ready. And, and that was just not true at all. I, it was bold face lie. I thought this is my one opportunity <laughs> to get to the big leagues. And I was like, I just need one day. Just give me one day in the big leagues. That's all I need. And, and so I go to Florida. They send me to Florida and I start kind of warming up. It's me and Dylan Tate. They send to Florida and who's with us still right now. And, and, it was between us two who would get called up and he ends up having a little injury. And so really I'm their only hope now, the only guy left. Um, and <laughs> Cobb, Alex Cobb gets a blister and I get the call. I get the call, meet us in Fenway, meet us at Fenway, meet us in Boston. Um, 
And, you know, I meet the team there. And, and the second game, I, I get in, I get my, I get absolutely shelled, but, you know, <laughs> I made my debut. And, and here we are. Dude, that is awesome. And absolutely, the second they call you and say, have you been throwing this? Yeah, of course I have. Why wouldn't I be? Yeah. <laughs> Of course, yeah, yeah. Every other day, I mean, yeah. I think I had a beer in my hand at the time. <laughs> it was a Saturday football, I think. So when you say you got kind of stuck for a little while at at the Double A level, you know that level for me was High A, the Florida State League. I kind of got stuck there, and for a while would question, what am I like? What am I doing? Like, what? Where should I keep going? Like. What is this path? Because there's never really a super clear path. At any point for you, was there a moment that you're like, "What am I doing? Should I just should I just hang it up?" Yeah, that, that definitely happened. 2018 uh, in Double A. Um, I those first couple of years were really rough, and then the third year, I was like, "Okay, this is the year that I'm going to try and figure this out." I, I I've spent so much time in this league already, and then it just was the same thing over and over again. I would. I would have a good start and then a bad one and then a good one and then a bad one. It was just back and forth and I was losing my mind. I, I just can't deal with, you know, that much failure. And I think a lot of guys deal with that. It, it's such a tough sport to grind through, especially in minor leagues when you're treated the way you are and you're, you know, taking eight hour bus trips. And it, it's, it's tough. And, and so, yeah, I, I was definitely trying to like look for other jobs and, and, and see what I wanted to do if I wanted to stay in baseball, if I wanted to do something else. And, and, and find like I think a week after I made I made the LinkedIn page to try and figure out jobs I got called up to AAA and then everything kind of started to fall into place after that and this ever since then it's been it's been pretty nuts. So John Means is looking for other jobs. What other jobs are you looking for? What would you be doing right now? Probably you know <laughs> stacking boxes at UPS. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> If I wasn't doing something in baseball, I want to stick in baseball. I love the sport. The sport's giving me everything. And um, I, I just love it so much. And it, if I was anything else, it wouldn't be glamorous, probably. So you mentioned it, and, and I actually talk about this a lot. So I want to, I want to talk to you about it. I, I talk about the mentality on, in a, on a baseball field and how it's so mentally exhausting and can be brutal especially you know I know from from a hitter's perspective and we're failing 70% of the time and it's awful and you know you go through good stretches I'd go through great stretches in the minor leagues and then through a stretch where I couldn't hit and and couldn't figure it out and just mentally I'm done and like there was it almost felt like it was a hole that was too deep for me to climb out of until something just happened and and next thing you know I'm fine, but I feel like it's all about learning at a certain level. It's all about learning how to deal with failure and, and how to, to move on and not get so in your head. What, what would you do when you had some bad starts or a few bad starts in a row? Would you get like in your head and bogged down mentally? Because I didn't know how, how to get through that a lot of times. I was just kind of like alone in the Florida State League trying to grind it out without anybody to help me and nowhere to turn to really. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's the toughest part of this game. And I think as a pitcher, I, I know the hitters fail more, but as a pitcher, since hitting's the hardest thing to do in sports, in my opinion, when you get shelled as a pitcher, it's even more demoralizing. <laughs> because you know how hard it is on their end. Sports. <laughs> so yeah, you're, you're basically sitting up there. Everybody knows you're getting shelled because the pitcher kind of judges the tempo and he's 
he's everybody's main focus. So when you're just getting absolutely shellacked by someone doing the hardest thing in sports, it's, it's one of the hardest things to get past. And, and that's honestly, it's honestly been the, the biggest jump for me is when I, when I kind of got really got into the mental side of, of this game and, and it's, it's hard because, you know, the angrier you are, the more frustrated they are, the more you want to succeed and, and want to force it, the, the less it comes. And so, honestly, some of the best outings that I've had is when I've done less, like, it, throughout the entire week. Like, say I, I might take a couple weeks off of lifting, just not do anything, not even step foot in the weight room, just to try and not think so much about, about anything, you know, any stress-related things and and that has honestly helped me out the most and and the best advice I ever got was after a bad outing do less than what you did before that instead of trying to figure things out instead oh, wow. of, okay the curveball was bad I need to throw a million curveballs in the bullpen to try and get that back that's that's the opposite of what you should do you should not you should not even touch a baseball for that next day you should wow. you know throw less pitches in the bullpen because at the end of the day your instincts that you've done this a thousand times over and over and over again so your body knows what it's supposed to do. And if you try and force it to do things that, you know, you need to work on, it's just going to tighten yourself up and not allow you to just use your instincts and use your, your, your abilities just to let them kind of, uh, you know, flourish. Yeah. So all those, all those years that I'd go for four and then immediately run to a cage and try and figure it out, I actually wasn't helping myself out at all. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if the hitting perspective, but the pitching side, it's just, it, it's tough. So you end up getting that call in September after you weren't expecting it. And you said, all I want to do is just get there. Give me a day there. You get there. And then you go on to, to have a successful career and do well. And in the following year, become an all-star. When did you realize, okay, I got more than my day and I can actually get out here. I, I belong here. What, where, what was that point? Uh, probably that first in 19, um, after those first few outings, cause you know, I was, I, I was probably the last person to make the team. I was probably the, the 25th man on the roster. I, I was probably that first guy that was going to go down. And so after those first few outings of, of me finding my changeup and they kind of coming out of nowhere and, and, and guys just weren't seeing it. I was like, okay, this is a legit pitch that I could use for a long time if, if I can keep this consistent. And, you know, it, it just kept working out over and over and over again. And I was like, okay, this this could this could be a career. And, and honestly, I didn't want to believe it. And guys would keep telling me like, dude, you're, you're pretty good. And, and <laughs> I just did, all I would think about would be the next start. Like, okay, five more day. I, you know, if I have a good start, I get five more days in the big leagues. If I have a good start, I get another five days in the big leagues. Because that's how you have to think when you have, you know, three options and guys can, and the team can send you down at whatever is you're just trying to claw like Bailey's basically scratching claw for, for those next five days as a starting pitcher. And, and that was the mentality I took literally until the all-star game um, was, I was just trying to stay there. I was just trying to do good enough to stay. And I, I guess ignorance is bliss at that point. So that's maybe the, the tactic I was taking, but, um, but yeah, sort of that after that first half of 2019, that's an interesting point because one of my one of my best friends has been a fringe big league guy and and it's no surprise it's no secret in the minor leagues it's it's not glamorous you're not making 
you're not making money that can provide for your future. And he would get up and kind of say the same thing. But as a, as a hitter perspective, he would just say, look, I just need to make it a few more days because you can make in the big leagues in two days what you can make in a full season in the minor leagues. So it's interesting mm -hmm. for you from your mindset, look, I just need to make it five more days, five more days, five more days. And the next thing you know, you're an all-star. And then it's like, oh, wait, I think I might be good on the next five days. So yeah. you then end up making that 2019 all-star game and you, you didn't pitch in it, but you were there. What was that experience like? What was your favorite part from the 2019 all-star game? You know, the coolest part was just seeing how open everybody was at the game. And, and on, on at least, you know, the AL side that I was on is there was so much conversation going around the clubhouse of different tactics. And, and I'm just sitting there watching guys at the top of their game try to get better. And I was, it, it just blows my mind that these guys, they just keep having these conversations over and over again. And I think that was the coolest part is just being able to, like, I had a conversation with CC Sabathia at the All-Star game at, at, at lunch. And he was telling me about how, you know, the difference between a rebuilding team and a winning team, because I was on a rebuilding team. And, and so, you know, he was with, you know, the Indians with a rebuilding team and then went to the Yankees with, you know, needing to win every day. And, and just the difference between that and Hunter Pence and I had a conversation for a long time. And that guy, talk about mentality. I mean, that guy's basically had his mentality locked down. Um, and it was just, it was cool to see, see that side of it because looking from the outside in, you just think guys are a bunch of, you know, egomaniacs that just, you know, prima donnas that have been in the big leagues right. forever that, you know, are at the top of their game. And it's really like a bunch of guys just trying to grind to get better and grind to stay and grind to stay at the top of the game. So you're talking to CC Sabathia at lunch and he's talking about, you know, being with the Indians during a rebuild and then going to a team that's successful. What, what, it, what did he tell you? What, what's the secret there? Because I, I can't imagine, and you went through, you know, especially your, your first year, it was a real rebuild. And what did, what did he tell you there to, to help you? He, he basically said, like, in a winning clubhouse, you're not playing for yourself. You're playing for the guys next to you. And then on a rebuilding team, it's all individualized. I mean, you're, Obviously, you're, you're, the, the organization isn't planning on winning, so guys just really play for themselves to try to keep yeah. themselves in the league. You have a lot of guys that are making either making a name for themselves or holding on to their careers. Like it's it's there's no in between. Yeah. And in a winning clubhouse, it's okay. The starter, as long as you can make it through seven innings to save the bullpen, because you know you might not have your best stuff that night, but four runs and in seven innings might save the game like you have to grind your way out instead of like you know just trying to strike everybody out and, and get your stats up it's it's more you know fill up the zone i don't have my stuff and then the bullpen comes in and saves you and it's it's getting the guy over it's it's playing to win the game instead of playing for individual stats which which it's it's hard not to sound selfish on a rebuilding team but when it, when you like i said when you have those guys on on there that are either making a name for themselves or holding on to careers like you are essentially paying for individual stats and it, it, it's tough it's it, it's a tough way to play like you're obviously trying to win the game but it's there's a lot more uh room to play for other people on winning clubhouses yeah that's kind of like and and i never got to the big leagues i never got anywhere close to where you are but that it almost sounds like 
on a rebuilding team, it's sort of like the transition from playing college ball where it's all about winning as a team and being a family and all that matters is winning and losing as a team to the second you step on a pro baseball field. Look, as much as they tell you, we want you in the minor leagues to win, that's not true. It's all about you. It's all about doing the best you can in right place at the right time and moving up and putting the stats on paper that can push you to, to where you want to be. And, and it really does become a business. And that's what it sounds like it can be even on, even on a, a rebuilding team. So this year, you threw a no-hitter. And I was locked in from about the third inning on, actually. Uh, it was awesome, man. Like it, was the, it was such a dominant game. From you through it against the Seattle Mariners it was so much fun to watch was there anything uh, in your preparation that day that felt different I know in talking to to my brother a lot of times his most successful outings he'll say he just didn't have it in the bullpen he felt awful actually and then he goes out and he throws great was there anything at all different for you that day yeah it was it was similar to that it was but my body, I just, I honestly felt kind of sick before the game. I was, I had a little cough and I honestly, I felt like I was going to throw up for some reason. And I, oh, you know, like everybody gets anxiety, like anxiety is real. Like, you know, you feel that, you know, yeah. tightness in your stomach and, and you like sweat more than you usually do. You go to the bathroom more than you usually do on game day. Like it, it happens to everybody, but it just, I felt it a little bit more that day. And I was, I remember sitting out in the bullpen before the catcher came out to warm me up, just sitting there thinking like, I hope I get through five innings today. <laughs> I, I mean, I really don't feel good. And, you know, I started warming up and it, it started to get a little bit better, but the bullpen wasn't great. I was kind of all over the place. And then I went out there and then from pitch one, I, you know, I felt, I felt locked in. I felt like I was in that space that I needed to be in that mental space that I, that I just always try and get into when I'm out there. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You, you mentioned how you felt before the game and anxiety. And, you know, once you get into the game, you know, once you throw the first pitch, it kind of all goes away. Does it come back in a no-hitter when, you know, later in the game, once you get to that seventh, eighth, ninth inning, does that anxiety that, you know, do you have to amp yourself down a little bit? Uh, I honestly, I didn't feel it that game sometimes it does happen that way for, but for some reason that game I felt I felt calm the whole game I was loose I was talking to people I wasn't trying to I wasn't trying to you know keep in my zone I wasn't trying to sit there and look at the floor the whole time 
I was trying to, you know, talk to as many people as I could, stay loose. And, and I really was, I was out there and I, I didn't care if I lost it. I, I really didn't. I was out there just trying to get ahead every pitch and trying to put guys away. I was trying to keep it as simple as possible. And, you know, I, I didn't really feel that anxiety during the ninth. I get, I did get a little bit of like the jello legs out there <laughs> warming up a little bit. I, 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 I started to lose some feeling, but you know, that was just in warmups. Then once I started throwing um, real pitches, I, I felt a lot better. I will say, I saw a fist pump from you in the eighth, and you're not typically like a big fist pump guy. So there was something there. Yeah, that was that was way outside my comfort zone. The fist pump. <laughs> I, I I couldn't believe I did that. That was such a reaction. It was a three-two changeup. That was that was a ball too that he swung at. And I, I think the fact that he swung at a ball, I was just pumped at. So your no-hitter was the only thing keeping it from being a perfect game was a dropped third strike. Now, even before that no-hitter, there's been lots of talk about the dropped third strike rule. Maybe more so, this is just from my perspective, because my brother's 3,000 strikeout came on a dropped third strike, and the guy actually got to first base. Um, So... How do you feel about that rule? No hitter aside, do you think if it's a nasty pitch and you know nobody can catch it and he still swings at it, he shouldn't get on base? I I honestly don't mind the rule, um, to, but I don't think it should be an earned run, which it is, and I I think that's kind of ridiculous that you struck out the guy and that's now your run that's getting in, um, but. As far as going, it, it is kind of a stupid rule, but it's one of those classic rules that it's just part of baseball. It's just part of it, and you just play with it for so long. Um, I, I don't see it getting changed, and, and you know, I, I I really don't mind the rule altogether. Dude, I had no idea. I, well, I think it was the Scherzer that was saying something about it earlier on this year. Yeah, Scherzer said something, and I believe my brother before has said, if I throw a pitch so nasty that the batter slings and the catcher can't catch it, why, what are we doing here? Why is this guy getting yeah, on base? Make, I mean, it does make sense. It, it does make sense that that the guy shouldn't get first. But base. I had no lost. idea it's an earned yeah. run. I didn't know that. In the box score, I'm 0 for 1. So I don't. it doesn't help my stats. So why, if I go around and score, is it an earned run against you? That doesn't make any sense. That's where I'm at, yeah. that's an earned, But if I throw it 30 feet above the first baseman's head, it's an unearned run, <laughs> you know, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. Yeah. So uh, Jim Palmer is a, is a broadcaster for you guys and, and in the booth and an absolute legend for the Orioles. And he said after that game that and, and he, this hadn't been done for the Orioles since him 50 some years mm-hmm. ago. And what he said about this is it kind of opened new doors for him as opposed to going out and trying to get through the seventh every game. And oh, man, getting into the ninth would be great. The second that happened. It shifts your focus to this can happen. I can do this. Every time I go out, this is a possibility. Did that help you any with your confidence? Yeah, for sure. It, it kind of gave me that because I'd never been past the seventh inning before. And then I'd never been in the eighth, been in the ninth, nowhere close. So it kind of basically broke down that barrier after the seventh inning. Like I know I can get into the eighth and ninth inning now. Um, with you know less than 100 pitches because it, you know if i attack if i get ahead of guys like this can happen and you know it as far as you know 
didn't really help like confidence wise, but as far as the like innings limit, like I now I know I can go complete game because I, I, I did it that time. So it's like that part of it probably more so than the confidence part, but uh, but I just try and treat everything the same and, and uh, including that one. I loved Jim Palmer's analogy. It's like stepping up to a par three. Before you throw a no-hitter and get that complete game, you just want to get it on the green and try and tap in for a birdie. Once you get it done, every time you step on a, up on a par three, it's, I have a chance for a hole-in-one here. That'd be pretty sick. What, what is your relationship like with him? Are you guys close? Uh, you know, since COVID hit, he hasn't been able to come in the clubhouse a whole lot. Um, so we haven't really talked, but you know, in 19, we talked quite a bit about, you know, mechanics. Cause I was making a lot of mechanical changes and obviously he used to throw a hundred miles an hour. So right. we were kind of going through our mechanics and he would always say what he would try and do his focus. And since I was really into mechanics, you know, I would kind of tell him, wow, that's similar to what I'm doing. Cause you look at his mechanics back in the day, it's, he does a lot of the things that guys are striving to do now, but they didn't really figure out you know, what he was doing well back then. So it, that's kind of a cool conversation of just, you know, you know, 50 years ago, what he yeah. was doing and now and, and what, how that translated into get what guys are trying to do in these pitching labs nowadays. Yeah. So you've been out since, you know, you've been out for a couple of weeks now, you've been having a dominant year, but since you've been out, Oh man, all hell's broken loose in major league baseball. There's a lot going on here. Um, when you come back, are you? I really feel like you're going to be one of those guys that chucks your glove all around the field, and when you get checked for a substance, and is going to be <laughs> super pissed off. Yeah, pulling your pants down. Um, the yeah. question. So, what do you think baseball handled this right by doing it mid-season? From my perspective, I don't know if they realized how deep-rooted of a situation this is, and and. I think doing this mid-season has gotten a lot of guys sort of, you know, pissed off that, wait, you, you can't just do this to us mid-season. Whether you're doing something, not you, whether something is being done or not, I think a lot of guys are frustrated that it's happened mid-season. Are you kind of glad that, not glad you're hurt, obviously, but, you know, you can, you can step back for a little while and figure out and, and watch what's happening before you come back? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the positives about kind of, you know, being on the aisle at this point, kind of see what's unfolding and kind of how guys are reacting to it and kind of let the chaos happen before I come back. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a little weird that it's happening mid season to be honest with you. And yeah, uh, I just, I, I think, I think a lot of what's going on is there's a lot of things that are happening, not just with the sticky stuff, but a lot of different things. And, and the sticky stuff got to a point where, we had to make some changes, 100%. you know, it, it, it needed to happen. And I, you know, I'm all for evening the playing field. That's I'm all for it, but there's a lot of things at play here that has, that is causing the hitters average to go down. And one of them being them changing the balls back to what they used to be um, from 2019. And another thing is pitchers of analytics helps pitchers a lot more than it helps hitters. Yeah. I mean, you go to a pitching lab, they basically have your motion down to where you, they can tell what it takes for your body to create a hundred miles an hour. Like they, they basically have it now. And 
they're helping these kids in their development years now that, you know, it might be too late for me. I'm 28 to, you know, throw hundred miles an hour, but for kids that are going to these labs, like pitching is coming, like it, it's going to run this league if we don't do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think pitching has just gotten so much better the last five to 10 years um, that it, it, guys coming up triple digits or t- touching triple. I was looking at the, uh, the draft prospects and every first rounder, it seems like has touched triple digits, which is unheard of. Yeah. Um, and it's just pitching is coming. And I think pit and basically with analytics, they're handing us the answer key when it comes to heat maps. I mean, yeah, we know what hitters can't hit now, but as a hitter, your eyes aren't going to be able to keep up. You know what I mean? So there's a, there's a lot at play here that at, to, as to why the averages are going down and, I think that's why moving the mound back and moving the fences in and it's because they kind of see this writing on the wall, but I don't think it's just sticky stuff. I think there's a lot at play at, as to why pitchers are starting to dominate this league. Yeah. And there's, there's analytics on both sides, but I was having this conversation before and as a hitter, I can have all the analytics and I can know what you do well and what you don't do well but I can't make you throw what you don't do well. As a pitcher, you can look at me and say, okay, so-and-so is cold here. Ben Verlander's cold in the entire zone. I can literally pitch him anywhere. Um, But that's my point is you can can find one weakness and exploit it. And a batter Mm -hmm. can't make you throw your weakness. So I I think you're right there with, with the analytics really benefiting pitchers more but where where do we go john like what do we do as you said it pitchers are getting so dominant i mean this hunter green guy is coming up throwing 103 104 miles an hour and there's not but so much pitchers or hitters can do about this what do we do as a league because i think everyone sees the writing on the wall what is the answer here yeah i mean i I was okay with the balls in 2019, even though they were golf balls. They, I mean, that's fine with me. I think that might help a little bit, but I, I honestly, I don't really have an answer for you. I don't, I don't love the move the mountain back whole, yeah. that whole deal. I don't think that's the answer, but it's, it's going to be pretty tough to figure out something that, you know, is fair that helps both sides. I, I think, you know, making the ball a little harder and making it travel a little farther does help. And that's why I'm so confused as to why they changed the balls back in the first place. Um, but that's really the only thing I can think of right now, but that that's coming and all the pitchers know that. And they, they see these kids coming up and throwing hundred miles an hour. Yeah. And they're also getting called up, you know, earlier than they ever have. I mean, we are having guys like that crochet or crotchet, yeah. guy for the White Sox that got called up right out of the draft and yep. was throwing 100 plus miles an hour and it's yeah. it's happening more and more that Casey Weathers kid um the McClanahan kid for the Rays I yeah mean, you just guys, feel like guys are big league ready now you think you, it looks like Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter are big league ready like I feel like they could be guys like that that are already throwing 97 98 99 with big league type stuff and they're starting to realize too with guys are in their prime in their 20s like even their early 20s they're in their prime and when you're a pitcher and you have and now they know exactly how your pitch is grade and they're giving you an answer key they don't care how old you are they're going to call you up and say look throw this 
this pitch over the zone and it's probably not going to get hit because it's that nasty. Yeah. And it's it, it's coming to that point. Yeah. John, I want to ask you some career moment type questions. I ask these three questions to everybody that comes on. So some career moments. First one being, what was your welcome to the big leagues type of moment? Uh, my, my welcome to the big leagues was when I, so I made the team out of camp in 19 and we, we were, had opening day in New York in, against the Yankees. And I was in the bullpen and the whole bullpen was walking out to the, out to the bullpen and we were walking and there was just this sea of fans over the bullpen in New York, uh, at Yankee stadium. And every single one of them are just flipping us off. They're just <laughs> giving us the finger. And just yelling, cussing at us, you know, telling us we're all bums and everything like that. And then that was kind of my into the big leagues moment when I'm just I'm in Yankee Stadium and everybody hates me. And that, that's <laughs> kind of part of it. Uh, what is the most memorable play that you've made on the baseball field? Memorable, memorable play. Um, let's see. I made a I made diving play i'm not even sure i had to dive for it but i made a <laughs> diving play uh i think it's either bond or swinging bunt in uh cleveland and i dove for it got on a knee fired it the first and ever since then people actually thought i was a little bit athletic, <laughs> a little bit being a big body lefty pitcher it's kind of hard uh they see me on the mound they think they can bunt a little bit and and ever since then people kind of respect me a little bit more what is the most memorable moment to you that has taken place with teammates off of the field? Oh, I think. Well, the so we had a at the All Star game. I guess this is kind of team, you know, teammates. Your All Star teammates. Yeah. We had a. I think it was called the Home Run Bash, Home Run Derby Bash, or something like that. And we went, and there was this outside big venue. Tons of people, every the best players in the league, and then Shaquille O'Neal was DJing, and that was <laughs> that was one of the coolest moments of my life. It's just me and my fiance at the time, wife now, just we're like, what are we doing here? Like, what is happening? What is life? Shaquille O'Neal is DJing or this party, and we're we're here. Like, we're able to be come to this place. It was that was pretty cool. Fun fact: I was there. You were there. I was there, and. It, he he goes by like DJ Shaq Diesel or something like that, yeah. and he was absolutely killing it. And I am I'm in the same boat. I'm like, what what am I doing here? Like I you know like fine. This this is the perfect scene for my brother and sister in law. But but what am I doing here? Like DJ Shaq Diesel's up on the stage killing it. So yeah. that's hysterical that that you were there as well. Um, Another question I had, though, that's it for, for career moment questions, but I want to put you in the shoes of commissioner. If you were commissioner for a day, what is one rule you would take out or implement for the betterment of the game of baseball? <sighs> I, it's, it's kind of tough. Let me see. There's a lot of things that would change, so I'm trying to think of one. Oh, okay. Um, but I, I wish there was a way that we could all get along and make all of the payrolls around the same. I wish there wasn't a 
$200 million difference between the highest payroll team and the lowest payroll team. Yeah. If we can somehow find a way to do that, that would be the rule I would change, make it a little bit more competitive. And, and we, you know, other leagues, the NFL is $50 million difference and the, and the NBA is 30 million and MLB is 200 million. So I think that would be the difference I would make and hopefully it would make some pretty good changes and make some competitive baseball. Yeah, I like that a lot. I also like the beginning of your rule change. I wish we could all just get along. We could end it there and that'd be <laughs> great too. Uh, I want to ask you about Trey Mancini. Trey was one of the first guests on this show and it was early in the season. Hadn't even gotten started yet and Trey comes on and one of the coolest stories in all of baseball this year, even before what he has been doing this year. What has it been like having him back and, you know, the story he's gone through coming back from cancer um, and just having going on an absolute tear this year? To me, it didn't even matter if he went on a tear this year. I didn't even care. I was just happy to see him back playing baseball. So what has this season been like having him back? Yeah, I, I forget who said it, but I, I think they said that he won comeback player of the year before he even stepped on the field. Um, but he I mean, he's such an absolute grinder. I mean, it he it, he's kind of you can't explain him i mean he's he goes out there every day expecting to win doesn't matter he doesn't care about what just happened to him he doesn't care that he took a year off doing chemotherapy he's he came into this year looking to dominate and his first first few weeks were, were kind of tough and he was still getting his legs under him but he was still like you could tell he's frustrated he he just wants to do well so bad and he grinded and grinded and grinded and now he's having an incredible year. I mean, he's he's absolutely raking. He's one of my when he's at his best, or not even when he's at his best. When he's hitting, he's one of my favorite hitters to watch hit because he'll take 96 six inches off the plate inside and hit a home run to left center, and then hit a slider six inches off the plate outside and hit it to dead center for a homer. Like he he he's an incredible player. Yeah, it it really couldn't happen to a better guy. You know everything that's coming to him now and. And it's it's really cool to see and, and just to see him grind through that after taking a full year off of chemotherapy. Incredible, and man. And everything. It's been crazy. Absolutely incredible. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining me, man. Um, you've been having an all star caliber type year. I know you're hurt, but if you happen to get selected, would you still go? I know you might not pitch, but will I see you there? Uh, I'll probably try and go if I get if I get selected. Yeah. All right. Maybe we'll end up at a DJ Shack Diesel concert together. Who knows? <laughs> there you go. We might actually know each other this time. There you go. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Good luck with your recovery and good luck the rest of the way. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Come back on anytime, man. I appreciate it. All right. And I wanted to thank again my guest, John Means, for joining me. Great to hear from another guy. That threw a no-hitter this year. We've now had a couple guests that have thrown a no-hitter, so I wanted to thank John again for joining me. And I wanted to get right into the hotline, where you guys call in, ask me whatever you want to ask me, uh, voice your displeasure with your team, uh, with me, with, you know, talk about whatever you want, really. I don't care. Just keep getting those calls in. It's always much appreciated. 213-537-9339 is the number to keep on calling. So, Rick, hit me with that first question this week. Hey, Ben, at Tennessee AA, just wondering, with the MLB trade deadline coming up, do you see – what team do you see that is on the path to potentially being a playoff team making 
the biggest flash or what team that is in the playoff hunt just selling pieces and or that is currently in currently in the playoff hunt selling pieces just to move on to next year if they are falling back by the deadline. Thanks very much, Bob. All right, thanks for the question. Uh, basically, what team is going to make the biggest splash at the trade deadline? And, and I definitely think a few teams come to mind, but the one that I think is going to make a big splash is the Houston Astros. I look at the Astros, and they are set up to win, and they are playing good baseball. Their offense, great. The best in the league. And, and the majority of, of all categories, of all offensive categories, the Houston Astros have the best offense. What could the Houston Astros add to put them over the top? And in my opinion, it's a pitcher. And, and I think if they go out and add themselves a pitcher, they become an elite team, the favorites in the American League, and put themselves as, as the favorites to, to get into the World Series. And, and I don't think they're far away from that. So I think they go out and make a pretty big splash and add – uh, a, a big reliever that's on the market, or, or even a starter. You know, you look at that rotation, and it's not elite. And, and pitching wins in the playoffs. And Jim Crane, the owner of the Astros, and, and James Click, the, the GM, they know that. Because for years, when they were going on those playoff runs, they had Justin and, and Garrett Cole. And that's what won them those games is having that one-two punch at the top of rotation and having some depth at the three and four guys that can propel you into the playoffs uh, and through the playoffs. And I, I look at their rotation now, and they have Granke and a guy like Lance McCullers who's throwing great this year. Um, and then, you know, the depth of that rotation falls off. Of course you have some guys that are throwing great in the rotation. You have a guy like Garcia and, and um, you know, Odorizzi, but they're not guys that are proven playoff dominant pitchers. And I think the Houston Astros are one dominant pitcher away from being the favorite to get into the World Series uh, in the American League. So thank you for calling in. Next question. Hi, Ben. This is Katie, longtime listener, first-time caller. My question is, with the Red Sox sweeping the Yankees for a second time this weekend, what would be your expectations for Chris Sale, and what role would you want him to play with this first-place team if you were Alex Cora? Thanks. Uh, perfect. Thank you so much for the question. Uh, my expectations for Chris Sale. Look, the Red Sox, in the eyes of many – have been a surprise this year. And I don't like to toot my own horn often, uh, but I did predict the Red Sox being really good this year. And, and that's exactly what they are. They find themselves currently uh, in first place in the AL East, but back and forth with the Rays, a half game, half game here and there. They're really good. And I think Chris Sale is the piece that they need. Um, I think they're in a really good spot where they don't need to go out and add a ton of guys. I think they could, of course, use uh, use another pitcher. Every, everybody always can. There, there's never a team that's like, nah, we're fine. Everybody always goes out and adds at the deadline uh, a piece if, if they're in con contention. But I think the Red Sox are in a really good position where their offense is really good. 
Their pitching needs some help, and Chris Sale is going to be that help, in my opinion. Now, look, do I think he comes back as that Cy Young Chris Sale that everybody um, got to got to see? No, I don't, and I think it's unfair to expect that from him. But I do think he comes back as a really good pitcher that the Red Sox can go to and expect to win games when he's on the mound. And, and a guy that they're going to be able to, when they get into the playoffs, if they get into the playoffs, go to him as their number one. Look, it's Chris Sale. He's funky. He's got a weird windup. He's throwing everything at you. He's a really good pitcher, and I don't care if his stuff isn't exactly as good as it was before. I think if it is anywhere close, he's going to be a huge add for this team that they don't have to go out and get at the trade deadline. He's somebody that they can add in-house that's coming back from injury, and it's going to be treated just as they're acquiring this huge piece. And it's going to be a shot in the arm for this team when they get him that propels them and says, look, we've, we've done this on our own. We're here because of what we've done. And now we got our guy back. We got our stud back. Now let's go get into the playoffs and win us a championship. That's what I think Chris Sale does to this team. So thank you again for that question. Thank you both for your questions. Thanks for calling in. 213-537-9339 is where you call in to ask me your questions. Make sure you're getting those calls in weekly, and you can be featured on the show. But now, for my favorite segment, it is this week in Shohei Otani news. Look, every week that I've been doing this, I've been thinking there's going to be a week where he just doesn't do much. But that never happens. And he just keeps doing better and better and better things. Look, this week, early in the week on Tuesday, he's facing off against Kevin Gosman, a much-anticipated matchup. The Giants are the best team in all of baseball. Otani's on the mound for this game. And what does he do? He proceeds to go out and throw six innings, punches out nine guys, gives up one run, an absolutely dominant performance. Look, he's been killing it on the mound this year, well below a three ERA, tons of strikeouts. In my opinion, Shohei Otani, when he's going out there, once he gets through that first inning, Otani is dominant on the mound. One of the best pitchers in baseball. He goes out on Tuesday and just dominates dominates against the Giants. It ends up being a great baseball game, head-to-head against Kevin Gosman, potentially you know, not, not the best pitcher in the National League right now. That's DeGrom. But Kevin Gosman is one of the best pitchers in the National League right now. And toe-for-toe, Otani goes out there and matches him on Tuesday on the mound. Then the week continues on, and what happens? The, Lo- the Los Angeles Angels travel to Tampa to take on the Rays. One thing about this stadium is, look, there's all these rings up there. Nobody really knows what these rings are. People hit the rings all the time, rings A, B, and C. You know what nobody does? Nobody hits ring D. Ring D. I didn't even know there was a ring D because it's so far out there. Shohei Otani hits a home run that you cannot tell me went any less than 800 feet. I won't believe it. I cannot believe that. That home run went 800 feet, and it hit ring D. And it was an absolute blast to right field. And then he proceeds to go on the next day and hit another home run, a triple, and a double, all at the trop. If you remember, Shohei Otani has hit for the cycle before at the trop. Then again, he ends up a single away from the cycle. Who ends up a single away from the cycle. Nobody. Uh, Shohei Otani does. And then 
He hits his 25th home run. Look, Shohei Otani has 25 home runs. 25 home runs. I can't stress to you guys enough how special it is what we're watching. And I end up saying this weekly. But we are in the midst of watching the greatest season of all time. And I have no problem saying that. Of course, we've seen better seasons offensively. We've seen better seasons on the pitcher's mound. But what we have never seen is a season like this. The season we are watching is the most interesting, most impressive season that we have seen all time. Let me talk to you guys about some stats. I've said before that Otani's doing things for the first time since, uh, since Babe Ruth 100 years ago. But now it's to the point where Otani is doing things better than what happened 100 years ago with Babe Ruth. Let me, let me hit you guys with some stats. This is through 77 team, team games back in 1919. Let me talk to you about Babe Ruth's stats. In 1919, through 77 team games, he had 316 plate appearances. He had a 315 average with 15 home runs and a slugging percentage of 619. Let's fast forward to 2021. Shohei Otani. Through 292 plate appearances, he's hitting 277 on the year with 25 home runs and slugging 668. Now, those are just the offensive stats. Already, those stats, better than Babe Ruth. Let's go look at the pitcher stats, because everybody likes to compare him to Babe Ruth and say, well, they're doing some, of the, some similar things. Let's talk about the pitching stats. Babe Ruth in 1919, 10 starts on the mound, a 3.56 ERA, pitched in 91 innings, struck out 14 guys in 91 innings, which isn't great, and walked 47 guys, a 14 to 47 strikeout to walk ratio, which in itself is just mind-blowing. Like, aside from the fact that I'm just trying to talk to you about what Shohei Otani is doing, that in itself is mind-blowing. But let's talk about Shohei Otani's stats. Through 11 starts, a 2.58 ERA, 59.1 innings. He has an 82 to 31 strikeout-to-walk ratio. 82 strikeouts in 59.1 innings. What this guy is doing, I know people like to compare this to Babe Ruth, because it's, you know, it's kind of our only reference point, honestly, of a guy being as good, an all-star at both. But what Shohei Otani is doing is better than what Babe Ruth was doing over 100 years ago. So I know I talk about it weekly, and I always feel like every time I do this segment, can he continue to top himself? But he does. He continues to. He's having one of the most impressive seasons of all time in the history of this game and I love to showcase that because it's special what we're watching right now and another thing Otani did this week obviously this week was the first week of the crackdown in Major League Baseball on substances Otani got his substance check and what did he do he walked over to the umpires with a smile on his face handed them his hat did everything he asked thanked them for doing it and walked off the field why because that's Shohei Otani that's just how he is He's an extremely polite guy that's going to go out and perform better than anybody else on the baseball field. That's why I like Shohei Otani. 
And that's why I love having this segment this week and Shohei Otani news. What he's doing is he's being an all-star as a pitcher and an all-star as a hitter. And in a couple weeks, we'll get to watch him on a huge stage at the all-star game. And I can't wait. So that does it for this week in Shohei Otani news. What I wanted to get into now is the Twitter poll that we have been asking you guys weekly on Twitter at FlippinBatsPod on Twitter. So make sure you're following this week's question. Who's the National League MVP? We gave you guys a couple of options in the graphic. Fernando Tatis Jr., Jacob deGrom, Ronald Acuna. Three great options. Really, there's no wrong answer. And of course, someone else. So let's take a look at the results of this poll and see what you guys voted for. And with 57.4% of the vote, you guys voted for Jacob deGrom as who is going to be this year's NL MVP. 29.5% of the vote went to Fernando Tatis Jr., and then a big, big drop-off. 7.1% said Ronald Acuna Jr., and 6.1% said someone else. What I like to do is quickly talk about that someone else. Who is it? I think it's Nick Castellanos. I think it's Jesse Winker. I think both of those guys are go-to options and some of the ones that have been getting some of the um, some of the votes for that someone else. And neither of those, those guys are killing it. And if they continue on this path, certainly an argument for those guys. But I want to talk about this poll and the three guys that are on the poll. And Jacob deGrom clearly winning with 57.4% of the vote. Look, this one wholeheartedly agree with. If we continue on this direction, there is no doubt in my mind Jacob deGrom is the National League MVP. And there is no doubt in my mind Jacob deGrom is going to go down as having the best season as a pitcher in history. There's no way around it. Jacob deGrom is currently on pace to have by far the best season in history as a pitcher. Look, he gave up two earned runs. Two earned runs uh, in his start this week, and his ERA went up to a 0.69. He is still well under a 1 ERA. So without a doubt in my mind, we got this poll right. But 29.5% also went to Fernando Tatis, who, look, is becoming the face of baseball. And you see it every time the Padres play in a nationally televised game. This guy just rises to the occasion. And, and that's part of this. That is part of being an MVP. And if it weren't for the season that Jacob deGrom is having, absolutely. Fernando Tatis is having that sort of year. He's absolutely killing it. And Ronald Acuna down there in Atlanta is on is close to on pace to go 40-40 this season for the and be the fifth player of all time to do it. And look, he's getting 7.1% of the vote. I think that just speaks volumes to the year uh, that Jacob deGrom is having. And I, I totally wholeheartedly agree with the results of this poll. So who is the favorite? Who is the NL MVP? Jacob deGrom wins our Twitter poll this week. All right, and I wanted to get into this week's six-tool player of the week. This week's six-tool player of the week is the number one prospect in baseball. His arrival has been waited for a long time. Even people that aren't Rays fans have been waiting for the arrival of Wander Franco. He has made it to the big leagues, and he made quite the splash in his debut. The very first game he plays in, in his big league debut, what does he proceed to do? Well, he hits an absolute laser double, but... The biggest thing he did was a three-run go-ahead blast in his big league debut, sending the Trop into an absolute frenzy. The Trop doesn't go into a frenzy. Let me put that out there. The Trop doesn't really get too crazy, but it did on that day. 
I haven't heard it like that since Evan Longoria's blast down the left field line a long time ago. But the place was going crazy. Everyone was pumped. I was pumped. People that weren't even Tampa Bay Rays fans were like, you know what? This is really, really cool. Um, but look, that's not what makes somebody a six-tool player, and I talk about this often. It's not only stat-based. What he did was awesome. It was his big league, big league debut. To do that in his debut was insane. But what I like to talk about is the other things. And what Wander Franco did that next day is something that doesn't show up in the box score. He grounds out routinely to second base and hustles down the line and forces the Red Sox into an error and ends up getting on base and ends up scoring. And it's stuff like that that I like to showcase in this game. Stuff, the, the little things that show up outside of the box score, whether it be things that make the game fun, whether it's flipping bats, swinging 3-0, or whether it's somebody like this, just hustling, something that isn't hard to do, but we don't see it often. A guy that is busting it down the first baseline as hard as he possibly can, forcing the other team into an error and forcing them into giving up an unearned run. And, and he ends up scoring and it ends up making a difference in that game. So this week's six tool player of the week, Wander Franco, what an absolutely incredible debut for a 20 year old. I don't even remember what I was doing at 20 years old, probably pulling a tarp on the baseball field at Old Dominion in Virginia. This guy's 20 years old um, and making an immediate impact at the big league level as a switch hitter with power, hitting go-ahead homers. What a week for this guy, what a debut, and I'm excited to watch him for a long, long time uh, at the Major League Baseball level. Um, but before I sign off today, I wanted to do something really cool with you guys. Look. One thing I've always loved is a good old ejection. I love ejections. We got a couple good ones this week uh, in Major League Baseball and in Minor League Baseball, but another one I wanted to talk about took place in the College World Series, and, and it was with Tennessee, and I don't know if a ton of you guys watched, but the ejection was awesome. Their, their assistant coach comes out onto the field um, and, and ends up getting thrown out by an umpire on the other side of the field, and you know he ends up throwing stuff. It was absolutely incredible. Now, what I wanted to do, that coach that got thrown out for Tennessee is one of my best friends. We played together with the Detroit Tigers organization. His name is Ross Kivett, and he is here to join us to talk about this ejection. Ross, what is up, my friend? How are you, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm glad to be on. Thank you. Thank you. So, look, let's talk about that. I remember watching it on TV. It was awesome. You got your piece in, but but what happened? Walk me through from this from the beginning to, to you getting ejected and throwing stuff on the field. What exactly happened? It goes deeper than that. In 2013, on my Kansas State team, uh, the Super Regional team, he threw out one of my roommates uh, when he was a Big 12 umpire. So I had some choice words for him the next day to defend my teammate then, and uh, he's held that, that vendetta, I guess, for eight years. So then... When the Tennessee Volunteers make it to uh, to Omaha for the first time in 16 years, he decides that I'm going to be short-lived in an elimination game against Texas. So uh, basically what happened, if you want me to go through it quick, is I had slammed the rail after a 3-2 pitch that was clearly a ball. And uh, I, I said a choice word at the pitcher because he had just walked the leadoff batter for the second straight inning after we tied the game 4-4. And uh, – I guess old old boy was checking out uh, the dugout and picked on an assistant that he had a vendetta against and threw me out from third base. Not only once, but he went back for a, a double fist pump 
and threw me out twice, basically. <laughs> so, so you literally now shoot me straight here, Ross. You just slam your fist, I, slam your fist on the dugout railing. This guy's lasered in from you from the opposite side of the field, and he throws you out. Yeah. To be fair, though, to be fair, we had gotten a balls and strike warning as a dugout the inning before. However, he is obviously not paying attention in the to get after me about slamming the rail when I hadn't even said anything to the home plate umpire. Not that pitch, at least. If I was going to argue, I would argue the one before that and the one before that. that right. So you ended up getting tossed, and, and, and you got your money's worth, as, as you usually do. You've, I've been a part of a few of your ejections. You get your money's worth get tossed so what exactly it was tough to see from all the angles that I saw uh, I saw a few different angles of this I saw a very up top view and I could see stuff coming out on the field I can only imagine that was you and then I see an up close angle of exactly what you were saying so take me through the moment you get ejected you go back into the dugout what what happened in there well hopefully my new employer isn't listening but I, I obviously the the binder throw tried to make it the home plate because I was hot. And after I uh, had a few choice words, I, I finally got to the right umpire. Cause when I first walked out, I got the first base guy who had, he had been giving me a little bit of a hard time the inning before about a buck call that, that wasn't called, but not that I was grinding on every umpire, but the, he didn't even look at me after he threw me out. He was already saying my number, which is crazy because I'm the first base coach then. So it's not like he had seen my number before and I was on the opposite side dugout. So it wasn't like my Jersey was showing to him. So how did he know my Jersey number? Well, then back to the original statement of, I think the guy might hold a little bit of a grudge. So as soon as I got into the, you know, I got the police escort up the hall in, in Omaha and uh, into the dugout or into the clubhouse, I uh, texted you. Yep. I mean, I texted you as soon as I saw it and uh, we, we were talking immediately and I knew that I needed to get you on this show to talk about it. Ross, thank you, man. Uh, I, I'm actually so pumped for you. You, you just you just got the, the hitting coach job at Houston. So I'm pumped for you and uh, pumped for you to be down there. And thank you so much for joining me. Much appreciated. And uh, yeah, maybe if you get thrown out down in Houston, we'll have you back on again. Well, hey, I love the show, man. Keep doing it. You're doing a great job. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I, I, that got me to thinking, what are some of the best ejections of all time? Uh, you know, I got to watch that. I love watching Ross get fired up on the field. And it got me to thinking of some of my favorite ejections. And a couple come to mind. Obviously, there's the one years ago. It was in the minor leagues with the Braves organization. The coach army crawling up to the back of the mound. He's doing the army crawl. He gets to the rosin bag. He bites the rosin bag like it's a grenade. He throws it over his head towards home plate. And it just lands perfectly right next to home plate, right near the umpire. That one will never, never be topped. The army crawl, the grenade, the grenade toss legendary moment and another one that took place at the big league level uh was bobby valentine in, in my opinion the injection itself was great but he comes out of the game and ends up putting on this disguise now bobby valentine's a very recognizable guy he's also at the time the manager of the mets so it's not like he would be out of place if he showed up and you're not expecting him Bobby Valentine gets ejected. He goes up into the clubhouse, comes back 
with a disguise. And it's not like a, a mask or something. It's just a fake mustache, a baseball hat, and a pair of sunglasses. And he comes back in the dugout and he just stands there like this. And people are like, wait, that's Bobby Valentine. What are you doing? You can't do this. So that's also one of my favorite ejections. Uh, I love baseball ejections, and uh, I just wanted to talk about it. And what better guy to have on than somebody that just had a high-profile ejection in the College World Series, got thrown out as an assistant, uh, and it got me to thinking about some of the best ejections in baseball. But that does it for this week's episode of Flippin' Bats. What an absolute blast. Thank you guys for joining me. Make sure you like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google, wherever you listen to your podcasts, make sure you hit that subscribe button. It means a lot. And uh, make sure you're following on socials. We always do something on social media, uh, whether it be a poll question or, you know, just make sure you're following Twitter, Instagram. The episode comes out via video on YouTube. So make sure you're checking that out. And I will see you guys next time on Flippin' Bats. He swings and it's a high fly ball, deep center field, it is gone, home run, and a huge backflip to celebrate.